Hello again. I do want to welcome you back to Bible Studies with Russ. <clears throat> we're looking at today Judges chapter 4. We're about a day behind, but uh, we're going to go ahead and do our study this week. Uh, sometimes things just get hectic, but I do want to continue this as much as I can on a regular basis. So we're going to look at Judges chapter 4 today uh, versus, uh, well, all of chapter 4, really. And if you're, if you're familiar with the book of Judges, uh, you know them Judges 4. And in uh, Judges uh, chapter five, we find uh, we find Deborah, and we also find a very interesting uh, kill method, <laughs> uh, so to speak, there in the latter part of chapter four. And so let's go go ahead and get into this. Judges chapter four, verse one, uh, reading from the New King James, the Bible says, "When Ehud was dead, <clears throat> the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord." And so we'll begin this chapter with that very familiar phrase, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. But the children of Israel again, rather, did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, <clears throat> sometimes we say that people are slow learners. Well, Israel, especially the one we find here mentioned throughout the book of Judges, is very much a slow learner. And we too at times can be, no doubt, those who are slow to learn from our mistakes. But we find here in Judges 4 another period where the people were again doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Again, I think about that phrase. I know I mentioned this before, that phrase, in the sight of the Lord, which means it doesn't matter what the people think. If the Lord called it evil, it's evil. Well, they were doing what the Lord called evil, and we find they're doing these things, and therefore they were against uh, the Lord. And let's look now at verse 2. Looking at verse 2, the Bible says, So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Uh, the commander of his army was uh, Caesarea, which is Syria, however you want to pronounce that. I'm horrible with names. If you haven't learned that yet, you will. Who dwelt in, in Horasheth uh, Hagagim. Uh, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years, he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. As we look through here, we find that uh, Israel had no chariots of iron, as many commentators and others will point out. They had no chariots of iron, and such a uh, force, as mentioned here in verse 3, uh, made the king of, of Canaan seem invincible. Uh, but we will find that the gathering of united tribes of Israel against him under Barak uh, coincided with a storm in, in which the Kishon, normally a dry riverbed, rapidly became a raging torrent in which the uh, the chariots would be engulfed. We find in verse 4, uh, well, before we get to that, okay, if we go back to verse 3, notice how it's how their uh, pyramid is defined here. He had 900 chariots of iron, so they were no doubt... Uh, very much in a weakened state against him. And for how long? For 20 years. He, uh, he had harshly, not just oppressed, but he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. And so for 20 years, they were facing what they thought was a unbeatable uh, a, a king who could not be overcome, and they were treated harshly for 20 years. But again, <clears throat> what's, what, cha what has changed here? Verse 3, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. You know, when I look at the book of Judges, I'm reminded over and over again how <clears throat> with God in the picture, everything changes. Everything changes. And I'll go to the New Testament. I think about 
<clears throat> the man who came out of the tombs, who, who the men, rather, as Luke points out, I believe it's Luke, he says there were two, you were coming out of the tombs and they were possessed. The Bible says uh, with demons, legion, for we are many, right? We remember that phrase, which, you know, that, that's, uh, that story, that account is one that, Freaks me out a little bit. You know, I, I like scary movies to a degree. I like gruesome movies, but a movie that makes me jump or something I enjoy from time to time. But the idea of men coming out of the tombs who had their dwelling in the tombs, not in the mountains, but in the tombs. Um, and Christ was the one who made everything change at that day. You remember that? The Bible tells us how he cast out the demons and how the demons were fearful of him. And we go all the way back here to Judges. We reminded that with God... Everything changes, doesn't it? And we find in verse 4, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of uh, Lapidus, who was judging Israel at that time. Now, we have to remember, when we're thinking about a leader, we have to remember, first of all, that this is the Old Testament, right? It is very rare, as one commentary pointed out, uh, that you find a female leader. And really, and as one individual made it made it a, a good point here was even though um Barak was 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 unwilling at first to go and he wouldn't go until as we'll find later until Deborah went with him but he was the one who led the people right and we have to remember also I think that we are not living in the time period of the judges we know about what the Bible tells us about leaders of the women uh, leaders in the church today and you know, how what the Apostle Paul tells us and those things. And so we're talking about a different time period, and it was not something that was commonplace. And I think many times, I think in some ways, that perhaps the reason Deborah is mentioned here as a prophetess, because maybe perhaps there wasn't, and this is just me speaking, there wasn't any other men who were willing to do what was necessary. And maybe Barak is a good indication of that, right? He was not one who was willing to jump on it and, and get going. Uh, but she was uh, judging Israel at that time, verse 4. Verse 5, and she would sit under the palm tree of uh, of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And so <clears throat> we find that God raises up Deborah. And as we're going to find, he also raises up Barak, or Barak, everyone pronounce his name there. Uh, Deborah, as we find in verse 4, is the inspired leader of the deliverance that came to Israel in this time of crisis. Uh, her position was already recognized in Israel. Uh, she was uh, to summon, as we'll find here in verse 4 to uh, verse 5 other than following, that she was going to summon Barak, verse 6 actually, and and we'll see his immediate response. And her ability as a prophetess in the truest sense of the word appears in her ability to predict the and the supernatural prediction that God would deliver Caesarea into the hand of, of a woman, as well as the details where the battle would occur in its favorable outcome for Israel. Now, there is no doubt, as we look here, that she was doing the Lord's work as was being as she was being uh, a prophetess and speaking uh, where God was telling her to speak in those types of things. A unique time, but not one that we can logically apply for the New Testament church today. And I say that because there are some who want to go back and look at Deborah and say, well, Deborah was a prophetess. Totally different position, time, uh, covenant, everything. But anyway, um, and so she was the judge, verse 5, verse 4, rather. In verse 5, they would come up to her uh, for a judgment there in verse 5. Verse 6, then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinam, uh, Abinam, 
from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons and of the sons of Zebulun there in verse six. Uh, and so we, as we look at verses 5 and 6, expression came up here, as it says in some translations, is 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 applied here as in Deuteronomy 17, 8, to the, to the place of justice as a spiritual height. Um, uh, independently of the fact that the tree was, I'm oh, sorry, we're going back to the verse 5, I'm sorry. Verse 6, um, she calls up Barak, right? Oh, sorry, I lost my place. Um and he is called up to go out. We find there she got the son of Barak, called Barak the son of Abaddon from Kadesh and Naphtali. And said to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you the uh, 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. You think about that phrase there in verse 6, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, meaning this was a command, this is what we should be doing. Um, and so she's encouraging him to go. Verse 7, uh, and against you, I will deploy Caesarea, uh, uh, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his uh, and his multitude at the river Kishon. I will, I will deliver him into your hand. Uh, in normal weather, this river is merely a dried up, wady, is a dried up, uh, wady river. But in the instance of rain, uh, it becomes a roaring, excuse <clears throat> me, a roaring river. Of course, Caesarea knew knew that, and if it had been been in the rain, rainy season, it could have not deployed his chariots in such a dangerous location. So this indicates it was it was certainly an unexpected and untimely rain that turned the battle into the to, into the advantage of the Israelites. It was through her gift of prophecy that Deborah knew this and set in motion the events that led to the great victory. Did Deborah cause the rain to come? No, she just simply said it's coming because God's going to do it. Uh, so and now this river head joins west with the great ridge of, of mountains bordering the area of the Jordan River and flows northwest across the plain of Astralon, Jezreel, near the southern foot of Mount Tabor in the east and con continuing north uh, northwestward to the north of Mount Carmel, where it empties into the Mediterranean Sea near uh, Haphi. This is the plain of, Astral of Astralon. It is one of the great battlefields of history. Um, Zebulun and Naphtali, as we find here mentioned in verses 6 and verse 10. Um, let's see here. Um, one of the difficulties cited by some scholars is the fact that in this chapter, only these two tribes are mentioned as participating in the battle. Uh, but in Judges 5, it appears that Ephraim and Benjamin and Machir uh, and Issachar also participated. Uh, there were two phrases, uh, to me, two phases of the campaign. The first in which only Neptali and Zebulun participated, and the second in which all six of the tribes are mentioned uh, had a part. In fact, Judges 4.24 speaks of a conflict that continued more and more, indicating an extensive war culminating in the permanent removal of the Canaanites, of the Canaanites, sorry, as a threat to Israel. Uh, the part of that war in which Zebulun and Naphtali were the sole participants or merely the, the opening campaign of it. And so we have a few armies mentioned, and then later we find in the second uh, second phase, so to speak, you find more armies that are uh, mentioned there. Now we go back here to uh, looking at verse 8. 
uh, looking at verse uh, 8 and uh, the Bible says here, and Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Verse 8 of Judges chapter 4. Now, Barak is not the first man who is willing to, who shows that he's not willing to just jump right into things, right? I mean, remember Moses was a man who made excuses before he uh, began serving God in the way in which God began to direct him more, more uh, extensively, so to speak. Um Mere Moses, the same man, he said, you know, he has slow speech and slow tongue. Uh, not, he does not have smooth speech and he has slow tongue. Uh, yet, what's interesting is Moses, if you remember not too long after that, but you start reading that Moses <laughs> does most of the talking. Um, but anyway, so Barak here is, he says, if you will go with me, then I, will, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. You know, the thing about this <laughs> battle is a scary thing. I don't think the idea that. I don't think it's the idea that, that Deborah provided more any comfort other than the fact that she was the judge a judge appointed by God and brought him comfort to know that she was there. Uh, kind of like saying that God was with them, right? Well, God was with them. But anyway, Barak says, you know, if you'll go with me, then I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, I notice this. There will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. The Lord will sell Caesarea into the hand of a woman. The Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And so what she's saying here is that, that you're not going to be the one who gets the glory. Now, does that mean that Barak is, is, is a worthless guy? No. Does that mean he's a horrible person? No. But what she's saying here is that there's someone else who's going to get the glory. Now, what's interesting is not, it's not Deborah that we're going to be seeing here is going to be really getting the glory. Uh, she, is the, she is a judge you know, here for God of the people. We're going to find out here in a few moments that it wasn't her that she's actually referring to. Uh, verse 10 of Judges chapter 4 says, And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and he went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went with him. He So he went up with 10,000 men. Now, do you remember, going back here for just a moment, how many? He had 10,000 men. Remember verse 3 says, For Jemin had 900 chariots of iron. Now, he went up with 10,000 men. Now, 10,000 men and 900 chariots of iron. 900 chariots of iron is a formidable force. I kind of think of it today as kind of like, okay, 900 tanks, kind of, right? Um, but we found here in verse 10, Barak and, uh, and Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and everyone went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, the children of, Ho of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, has separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at, at, at Zanim, uh, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to, uh, to Caesarea that Barak, the son of Ebenon, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Caesarea uh, gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from, from uh, Herosheth Hagelim uh, to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Caesarea into your hand. Has not the Lord gone with gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Now, um, you notice here in verse 14, what is Deborah doing? She's really just pushing him forward, right? Saying, hey, get up. Now's the time to go. Get up. Go, 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 right? Um, uh, they're in verse 14. I'm going to move this up a little bit. There we go. They're in verse 14. 
So he went up, right? Or he went down, rather. So the Bible says, So Barak went down from Mount, from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Caesarea and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak and Caesarea uh, uh, alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. And so we find here they're getting slaughtered, right? Now keep in mind, who is it uh, in verse 15 that is said to be to have routed this person and his army? It's not Barak, and no, it's not Deborah. The Bible says, and the Lord routed them, right? The battle is the Lord's. And so we find here next that uh, this person, Caesarea, uh, uh, alighted from his chariot and fled away. I mean, he got up out of his chariot and he ran off. Uh, his, all his chariots and his army uh, had been killed, right? Verse 16, but Barak pursued the chariots and the army. Uh, sorry, verse 16, get him myself. He he is when he actually finally finishes the job. Um he pursued the chariots and the army as far as uh, Harasheth Hagnim, and all the army of, of Caesarea fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Everybody died. Who was it that did it? It was the Lord. Barak is, is shown as pursuing them, but who is the one doing the routing? The Lord, verse 15. Verse 17, however, Caesarea had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite. There in verse 17. Now, um, I'm not sure if I have a whole lot on this person here, um, other than what she is actually going to do uh, here in verse 17. Um, uh, verse or verse of, uh, 18 and following. The uh, Bible says, And Jael went out to meet Caesarea and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, uh, there uh, in verse 18, she covered him with a blanket. And so what she do, she she brings him in, right? She's telling him, hey, just come in here. Don't run. Just come in here, right? And she, she comes in. She covers him with a blanket. And he said to her, then he said to her, that is, Syria, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. She opened a jug of milk and, and gave him a drink and covered him. Some translations say it's goat milk. Some translations say, I think it was uh, warm milk. I don't remember that or not. Uh, but she gives him milk, right? Now, you may think, well, what does it matter? <laughs> is it easy to fall asleep when you're tired and you get a glass of milk and you go and lay down? Oh, it's really easy, isn't it? After a long day, well, has he had a long day? Absolutely, he has. So what she do? She gives him a glass of milk. Um, she opened a jug, gave him opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, "Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and and says, is there any man here? You shall say no, saying, go and tell anybody. There's anybody in here? If I ask if any man is in here, you tell them no. Right? That's the idea there in verse 20. 20. Verse 21 says, Then Jael, Herbert's wife, took a, took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand. This sounds like somebody had a brave heart right here, verse 21. And went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. It went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Now, he didn't fall fast asleep. In fact, one commentary says that one translation translates it, so he swooned and died. He didn't swoon. Swoon is fainting. Um I'm not sure what translation he's referencing here, but the New King James says here, uh, for he was fast asleep and weary, which means this is why she could do that. And what could what could she do because he was asleep, because he was so weary? But she was able to drive this temple, this peg through his temple and went down through his temple into the ground. Um, it is said that the business of pitching and striking the tent was usually assigned to women among the nomads, and J.L. therefore would have been quite skilled in the use of this equipment. 
meaning it wasn't uncommon for women. In fact, as he points out here, this commentator points out here, this was kind of the duty of the women was to pitch the tent. Well, what'd she do? She drove, she knew how to use that spike, knew how to use that hammer. She drove it right through his temple and he died. Verse 21, verse 22. And then Barak pursues uh, Caesarea and Jael came out to meet him and said, come and I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into to do her tent, there lay Caesarea dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. There we find a continual war, meaning the war gets kept on going, right? That's why we mentioned earlier about how other tribes uh, would be mentioned. And we'll talk about that perhaps more next week as well. But as we close chapter 4, what would we find? Deborah is the judge of the people, perhaps out of absolute necessity. Uh, Barak is uh, being pushed on by her, and so it's because he needed to be. And what happens? We find that God, we find here in verse 23, uh, so on that day God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of until they had had destroyed Jabin king of Canaan. Um, so what does subdue mean? It, it must mean that what the, that he has become weaker and weaker to the point where he's he is no longer he has lost his strength. Right. Thus, in verse twenty-four, the children of Israel grow stronger while Jabin's growing weaker and weaker until what? Until he is finally destroyed. Now, when we come back next time, and I believe uh, one commentator here. Regarding Judges 4 and 5, he says, In chapters 4 and 5, we have the famous story of the deliverance of Israel by Barak, by Deborah and Barak. Chapter 4 tells the story in prose, when chapter 5 tells the same story in poetry. And so we'll consider that aspect next week, and perhaps a little more as well. I do thank you for being here with me today. Hope you enjoyed this Bible study. I will join me again next time as we continue studying throughout the book of Judges.